Hi everyone, Jack here. Uh, before the episode starts, I just want to take a minute to thank some of our patrons. Thank you to Morgan Patterson, Theo Hendry, Jace Pastris, Mordecai Sennett, Ali Science, Juno, Crow, Jan Aloni, Dylan Beauchamp, Prozac Haven, Aaron Subbo, Jupiter McIntyre, Connor Fox, Saffron, and Adrian Frisbee. Your support means a lot to us. And now on with the episode. going to happen. This isn't, this isn't even a surprise. I mean, I didn't think that slimy bastard would try and lick me, and I definitely never fought someone so short before, but shit! Okay, calm down. I need to, I need to calm down. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is... This, this is fine, right? It's it's not... It's not the same as it, it, it was. I, I, I'm in space, floating around in the empty vacuum of space. There's so much space. There's so much space a person could drown in it. <laughs> Breathe in. Breathe out. This is different. It's different. I can I can still move. <laughs> I can kick my legs and, and swing my arms. And if I tried to bite my tongue off and die, a swarm of guards would come in and make sure that I don't. Because I'm, I'm valuable, right? T- too valuable. They, they can't let me die. At least not without getting whatever data and info they want. It'd be a waste. Breathe. Let me just sit down. Talking to myself helps. Talking means I can still breathe. That's I'm not being crushed. Wiggle my fingers. Wiggle my toes. I can move. I can talk. I can breathe. Someone's probably listening in, though. (laughs) Of course they would be. It's a prison. Surveillance is God here. And sure, I'm talking about absolute nonsense, but they probably have some quack psych trying to dissect everything I'm saying. Probably saying something like, I'm having a nervous breakdown. 
so quiet. I feel like I can hear my own heart beating. Wasn't there a story about that? Something about a heart beating under the floorboards because some guy was guilty? I I don't know. I can't remember the name of the book. Or was it a short story? I think it was a short story. I think it's been ages since I've read one of those. Hugo would probably gasp dramatically, the prick. Maybe make some joke about me being partially illiterate or whatever. The guy always knows how to get under my skin, always talking and flaunting his connections. I could strangle him every time he talks about having connections. I don't know how Vic can even stomach having him as a roommate. Maybe the guy's lonely. He doesn't seem bothered by Hugo's monologues. Shit, he's probably monologuing now, saying something about how he misses his third pony named Viscount Maximilian III, or how he personally once met the president and charmed him so much that the president wanted him as a (laughs) son-in-law. You know, now that I think of it, I think Hugo's a compulsive liar. He says so many unbelievable things. It can't all be true. Next time I ask him to tell me something about himself, he'll probably try and convince me that he's technically a prince in a far-off country I've never heard of. Well, shit. Never thought I'd see the day when I missed Hugo's annoying ass. Rich prick. And seriously, what the hell is he doing here? I don't think tax evasion gets you sent to a prison like this. And if he's as rich as he claims to be, why won't he just bail himself out? It's like he wants to be here. He probably does. If I were some wealthy asshole with all the power to do whatever I want, I'd... Actually, no. I wouldn't want to go to prison. That's stupid. Hugo's stupid. And I'm talking about Hugo, which makes me, what, twice as stupid? I need to talk about anything else. Anyone else. Everyone here annoys me. Vic is annoying. Huxley is annoying. Warren with his condescending dad attitude is annoying. This whole place is annoying and stupid and... I'm the one that's stuck here. I guess... It could be worse. I'm... It's better that I'm here. They might think I know something big, but I'm I'm really just the goon. And besides, I chose to come here. I chose it because the alternative would be worse. I'm sure of it. I can't be on Earth. If I was, they would... No. It's better that I'm here. You're probably listening in on this and wondering, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> or maybe you already know. Either way, I won't say more. I'll just sit in this dark, tiny cell, dragging my fingernails across the floor and stare at the sliver of light that's coming through from under the doorway. I think that's part of the torture. Being stuck in the dark, the tiny bit of light. It's the little bit of hope you get when in a hopeless situation. It forces you to wait, agonizingly, hoping that someone will come by and rescue you. It tears you up every second when someone doesn't. You stare and you stare. That bit of light eventually becomes the sun. And not to be like a 
typical brooding loner, but I've lived almost my whole life not seeing the sun. Most orphanages underground don't have access to natural light, so we make do with the artificial kind, but it's not the same. I was eight years old before I got to know what the sun felt like on my skin. It took a bit of planning, but I managed to sneak away from the supervisors long enough to travel to the surface. It was nice. A kind of warmth that was gentle, but still washed all over you. I felt like I'd never lived until that moment. But I knew where I belonged. Even at eight years old, I knew that the sun was a luxury I didn't have. I went back into the orphanage and I stayed there. Didn't tell anyone about what I'd done. If I did, I knew they'd beg me to take them with me. Or they'd snitch and I'd be kept on a stricter leash. Still, it was better not to give them that kind of hope. I kept it to myself. Years later, after I'd finally escaped from the orphanage and spent entire days in the sun, I never forgot the first time I felt it. And I never forgot what it felt like to experience that and still go back underground. I said the sun was gentle warmth, right? Well, having to leave felt like a numbing cold. I don't think I've ever stopped. I don't think I ever stopped feeling cold. Most people take a ray of hope and drive themselves mad for more. Or they hate it for making them want impossible things. I'm not a hopeful person, but I don't hate it. I don't hate hopeful people either. Sometimes things work out. Sometimes things don't. It's all very circumstantial. I I try to keep that in mind. I was born underground. I lived in the sunlight. And if I die in space, so be it. I got myself off Earth for a reason. Whether that remains the case or not doesn't bother me at all. You're still not going to catch me complying with these dumbass experiments, though. Just because I'm resigned to die in a black void doesn't mean I'm going to live making it easier for you. You can say that I chose this all you want, and you'd be right. But don't think I chose this because I had some misplaced hope that my sentence would be shortened. I have my own reasons for doing what I do, and you're not entitled to what those reasons are. Tell you what, though. I could really go for a red ration bar about now. I think this is the first time in weeks I've been able to sit quietly. Doesn't really feel right. Not because I don't like quiet. I, I've always thought being alone was easier because, uh, well, because I guess when I'm around other people, it feels like they want something I can't give them. They look at me and expect me to just know, like know how to say the right thing the way they want to hear it or do the right thing exactly the way they need it or be able to change the way things are in your head because that isn't the way they want things or they didn't, or they need someone to listen to them and react. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do or supposed to know. I don't know what's supposed to be different this time or what part of me I'm supposed to rip out to make it easier. So I just don't say anything. When I was real little, I would just disappear when it all got to be too overwhelming. Like, I just get so angry. I just run as far as whatever a little kid thinks is far, I guess, and find the biggest goddamn tree in the woods and just climb until my arms hurt. Then I'd look down, and everything would be so small. 
and it felt like, at least here, no one could touch me, because now they were too small to reach me. Then eventually, Dad or Lee would come yell at me, and, you know, about how I can't just keep running off like that when I get worked up, but I'd always do it again. And I'm not sure they actually ever tried to stop me. Maybe it was just easier for them to let me go and hope that this time I didn't pick a different tree. Because either it was either that or actually having to deal with me. It just, it feels like someone is there everywhere I go. Which means that I don't have anywhere to go. Like a helium balloon that's been stuffed in a box and it's constantly squeezing tighter and the balloon is already so full but it just can't pop. And someone needs me to do something in just the right way, or say something in just the right way, and I don't know what I have that I could possibly give them. Or sometimes they just want to strangle you, which frankly might have been the lowest stakes thing that happened all week if it hadn't been for Hugo and their... Uh, I don't even know why I'm in here when I was the one being threatened by goddamn Knife Point. I wasn't even sure what she was talking about at first. She just had me down on the floor and was trying to grab me by the throat, and she, she had this look in her eyes. It wasn't even angry. She had this look in her eyes where I knew that she was gonna kill me, and she had already decided it before she even pinned me to the floor. She just started going on. You're helping him. You're going along with his experiments. Did he blackmail you or something? And she didn't even stop. She... I don't even really know what she wanted from me. She just... She didn't even wait for me to answer when I got her off of me for a couple of seconds. She said, I'm making this harder than it needs to be. And I still asked her what she was doing. Then Hugo dropped that knife on the floor and started going off about how Jules, you know, being at a unique precipice of one's morality, which I'm not, I'm not one of the great philosophers of our time, but as far as I'm aware, stabbing is usually one of the less ethically difficult decisions people make. But apparently, it warranted at least a two-minute monologue with at least one reference to Caesar. And I wasn't even Caesar! Anyway, that's when it all went to shit, so. I, I know it's because Huxley says he sees potential in me now, and, and I don't know why the hell it had to be me he sees potential in. All it's done is just... It, it just caused more goddamn problems. Jules wants to be dead since now apparently I'm a threat now. Hugo's hardly a help because they're always dealing with whatever is going on in their world, and I'm... I'm here. And... I can't feel anything. I, I know I'm not the one who... Yeah, but... Sometimes I feel like I should be. I wish... I, I, I could say that I know it's going to be better. Because there's some cosmic force that I knew was going to be looking out for me, and even though a god has not been ruled out in the creation of the universe, I don't know what about me would even be worth the fuss of God trying so hard. Maybe it is because my parents always made me go to church, and sometimes I think about the idea of God doing a tally, you know? Like of all the times you went to church and did the whole thing, then when you really get into trouble, he'll look at his tally chart and say... Well, shit. I guess Vic went to church every Sunday as a kid, and his mama made them put money in the collection basket, which means they're good now. That's the rules. That isn't as funny as it sounded in my head. Actually, most things aren't. 
That's the only reason I can think of, at least. But I haven't been to church in years. I always got in trouble and had to wear those terrible shiny shoes that pinched your toes. And I tried to shove them under the pews during service, but Miss Gibson, this decrepit old lady who sat next to us, would always catch me and swap my arm and tell me to put my damn shoes back on and start acting ladylike, which obviously didn't really stick. Mom always liked church because she could talk to the other adults for way too long and feel like a part of something, I guess. Something I heard is difficult when you live in the middle of nowhere. I hated it. Because God was just a big guy who seemed to want the same thing as everyone else for me, and it pissed me off. So if there is a God to keep tally, maybe you should be giving my points to someone that needs more, like a forfeiture or something. Can I do that? Can I forfeit my God points or something? Like, dear God, I'm sorry for wasting your time, but can you move on to the next guy and let him use my points to win the lottery? Amen. Something like that. At the very least, just cash out all the points to Huxley so he finds a new, less stabbable test subject. Sorry. I'm just being an ass. Huxley... Huxley isn't that bad a guy. I'm just tired of being, I guess. I thought that first experiment would be the end of it, but now Huxley thinks this could be what he's been looking for, and I just truly wish it wasn't. Because now when he looks at me, I can see exactly what he wants. And sometimes that's worse than not knowing. And I want to hate him. I really, really do. I want to tell him to go to hell or to finally just screw up hard enough to kill me, but he makes it so damn hard when he looks at me like I'm the only hope he's had in months. And I just wonder when he's going to realize and be just like everyone when it finally hits him that I've got nothing to give him. I'm, I'm exactly what this place wants. Sorry. I didn't mean that. Aster. 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 Sorry. I just like the way it sounds. This really is as bad as they say. No light, barely any room to walk around. Just a chair, really. <sighs> I suppose there's some sort of recording device here. There always is on this ship, and I suppose it'd be a waste if I didn't have anything to record. What's that thing Victor always says at the start of his recordings? Dear Diary, was it? Strange that they talk to their diary as if it was a friend they're confiding in, right? I never could quite understand it. Anyways, dear diary, today I was thrown in solitary confinement for absolutely no reason. It's no matter, with my connections, I'll be out by the end of the hour. But still, it's rather cold here, even with my cozy socks. You know, diary, I've never been in solitary before. I've never done anything to deserve it. Yet here I am, the scapegoat for Jules and Victor's little spat. All I did was encourage Jules to say how she really felt. Maybe have a little moment of emotional growth that could benefit her for years to come. How was I supposed to know that she would physically fight him? That really can't be all my fault. Surprisingly, I find it difficult to blame Jules completely either. They should blame Huxley. 
going into people's heads, messing with their memories. Uh, I could see anyone being upset over that. Of course, she can't take her anger out on Huxley, so Victor was her target. Classic case of displaced aggression. <sighs> I don't. I really, really don't like solitary. It's so boring and quiet when I'm not talking. Back in my cell, I have such a lovely little ambiance machine. Makes rain, thunder, mostly. <clears throat> Occasionally, I have it play sounds of the city life when I'm missing home. It could be unsettlingly quiet here sometimes. Did you know that I used to live in Upper New York? I did. It was uh, nice, I suppose, though loud and a little bit too much smog for my taste. When rain washed it away, the view was incredible. Still, I can't picture going back there. I was the only person lobbying so the new buildings didn't block the view of my penthouse. Who knows where I'll end up when my sentence is over. Hopefully another city. I never did like staying in small towns where everyone knows their neighbor and all their secrets. This prison is sort of like a suburb, but except no one knows anyone's secrets, so it's no fun at all. Of course, in a place like this, it's smart to keep your cards close to your chest. I must say, talking to you, Diary, is not too different from talking to Victor. I can go on and on without interruption. Victor is right when they say I like the sound of my own voice. There aren't many people who don't, I suppose. Though your lack of sarcastic remarks seems to be the only drawback. I like hearing them do their recordings from time to time. It, it makes the cell feel lived in, despite the lack of decoration on his side. Victor is quite pleasant to have in the cell for the most part. Though I've never had a roommate before, so it's difficult for me to make a comparison. I wonder if they find me pleasant to be around. Despite popular belief, it's quite difficult to make friends in prison. Everyone seems to have trust issues to work out. Perhaps I should suggest a psychologist to be assigned to Nemesine, just to get the ball rolling. I have some doubts that anyone would be keen to talk to them, though. After I'm released, I'll have to spruce up one of these solitary rooms, in case I'm unreasonably punished again. My back will be sore for days from this chair. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it was an experiment of its own, or some sort of covert torture device. Hi, Smith. You're free to go. Took you long enough. This is an update in regards to Project M1342 and my continuing work with Victor Algernon. Since our initial entry into mixed Algernon subconscious, we've repeated our procedure several more times with equal or greater success. 
Their grasp on the mechanics of traveling through their own memory gets stronger with every trial, and it leaves me hopeful that his process could be replicated with others. Again, my ultimate goal with M1342 is to create technology that can be used in a psychiatric capacity in assisting with memory retrieval, or processing trauma, or discovering the root cause of certain neurological disorders. Despite the circumstances, Algernon is one of the more tolerable people I have worked with. It's been a surprise and a relief. They have every reason to push back at me, as Miss Coker does, but they haven't. Or, I suppose he does have his reservations, but he would rather talk through them than demand a way out. Maybe they're simply more resigned to their fate than Miss Coker. But I feel a potential in Vic for conversation, if nothing else. Obviously, there's Dr. Kane and the rest of the scientists who have taken positions at Nemesine, but I try to avoid them as much as possible. The other doctors are gathered in the cafeteria right now, probably trading tips on how to better break the Hippocratic Oath. Though we may all be here for similar reasons, I take comfort in the fact that my motivations are vastly different from theirs. Mildred Cavendish isn't here because she enjoys exploiting the prisoners under her jurisdiction. I am here because the second I clear my name, I can return to my position at the clinic. The research I am doing here is ultimately good. A net positive. That was true on Earth, and it is true on Nemesine. Master Huxley's fall from grace. Medical prodigy turned mad scientist. Girl genius turned disgraced neurotic old man. I was doing good work, and I could have kept doing it if they'd given me more money, if they'd given me more time. I... God, all my notes are probably collecting dust in a government archive somewhere, or published under someone else's name, or destroyed. All I needed was a little more time. Everything was too rushed, that was always the problem, and no one was willing to get out of my way. <laughs> I suppose that's not a problem up here. All the time and authority I could possibly want, and all I have to do in exchange is lock myself on a satellite and do a corporate entity's neurology homework. I don't enjoy hurting people. I don't like hurting people. Sometimes I look right before Vic goes under, and I don't like the look in his eyes. Everything I do is to help people, ultimately, and they have to see that. They have to have understood that back on Earth, but I never got the chance to explain myself. They didn't even look at my research before they sent me up here. They they just... I had a plan, just like always. There wasn't any room for error or setbacks, just like always. And if all that red tape hadn't created so many setbacks, I could have fixed things or done them right the first time. I would be back home in the position that I earned, running tests that I came up with on patients that aren't convinced I'm trying to kill them. No one would be treating me like I killed someone. I don't like hurting people, but I hate that that isn't common knowledge. You should have seen the way the board looked at me during the evaluation. It was like they thought I poisoned you. I... Oh. Um. <clears throat> right. <sighs> Aster Huxley's long, long fall from grace. I've been talking to nothing for so long, I've turned it into something. I don't know if you'd like me much right now. My ends stopped justifying my means for you towards the end, and it's only gotten worse since I left Earth. There are many ways to leave a person, and I think that you would be gone by now no matter what had happened. I don't... It's not that I think I'm supposed to be alone. I'm not supposed to be anything. I don't believe in destiny. I believe in my work. 
to the point where I'm not surprised when I end up alone. As long as I'm speaking to people who aren't there, Isaac, I may as well bring you up to speed. I've been slugging through the projects that Jesse and Nemesine deemed too boring or impossible for Earth, but I think I may have landed on something. You would like it. Vic... McSaldronon... Vic has managed to walk through their own memories. I think he'll be able to do the same thing in other people's minds too. I'm excited for the first time in a year and a half. Even without my notes or my lab or support, I'm still closer to getting to the bottom of things. It might be hard to translate any of my and Vic's findings into something tangibly useful, especially when the only purpose in Emerson's chemistry department is to test new biological weapons on convicts. But all research is important. All of it brings me closer to a solution. I know you tell me to take a step back. This is the point where you'd roll your eyes and turn up the radio or walk out of the kitchen. But the work I do is bigger than your opinion of me. I hope... I hope you accepted that. You never communicated it to me, but I hope somewhere in yourself you'd accepted that. Right, enough of that. If I keep this up, I'm going to start seeing figures behind a wallpaper. <laughs> my room doesn't even have wallpaper. I have work to do. I need to... I need to prepare my notes for tomorrow's lab session. And finish my write-up from Tuesday. And... Eat something, I suppose. Even if it means I'll have to brave the small talk that comes with walking into the cafeteria. I should make a list. One moment. I... Has this been on the whole time? Hmm. I guess I'll have to re-record my project update. I'll add it to the list. <sighs> Finally found a moment for myself. Been meaning to do a log for a while now, but since Huxley's gotten here, I've been on a tight schedule. <laughs> Boy, nothing quite like winding down and doing some audio journals, am I right? <clears throat> Alright, here we go. The day Dr. Is Kane! Dr. Kane, there you are. What are you doing just sitting around? There's work to be done. I need you to set up the lab according to these specifications for the next experiment. I need this done by tonight. Can do, boss. Perfect. Well, guess this will have to wait. Today's episode was written by Stanford Blue, Jack Loney, Icarus Jude Stevie, and Vincent Tirado. It featured Leland Heed as Victor Algernon, Varas Zima as Dr. Huxley, Serena Johnston as Jules Krober, Finn Carter as Warren Kane, and E.G. Taraku as Hugo Highsmith. Our editor is Stoker Leopold, and our music is by Sloan Van Dyke. If you like what we do and want to hear more from us, you can follow Brain Rot on social media, subscribe to our Patreon, or make a donation to our fundraiser, which will all be linked below. Thanks for listening.
it was always Chip who did the recordings, and I... Well, I suppose that's my job now. Now that he's gone. That's, uh, that, that's the reason I started recording in the first place, actually. Chip Romero is missing. Dead, apparently. <laughs> I don't believe that for one second. He's alive, and I know it. And I'm going to find him. The Children of Room 56 is a queer horror podcast distributed by the Listless Network. Episode 1, The Disappearance of Chip Romero, Part 1, will release in April 2022. We hope to see you then.